Welcome to Mariners Church Weekend Message Podcast. For more information on Mariners and ways you can get connected, head to marinerschurch.org or click the link in our show notes. Happy Easter. Welcome to Mariners Church. Welcome to our Easter services. So glad that you were with us. I know we have people watching at neighborhood gatherings throughout Orange County. I know we have people at the Orange County Rescue Mission who are tapped in right now, people in senior living facilities. We have Mariners hosted here and people watching Mariners online. Welcome. It's so good to celebrate Easter together. And I'm so excited to be able to share the Easter message with you this weekend. For the last seven months, I have been preaching most weekends at Mariners Irvine outside on this big lawn that we have. And it has been so good to be together with God's people, to study the scripture together. But teaching outside has been for me as a communicator, also very challenging because there's so many distractions. There is the muffler guy, the guy who rides by in his car really loud, trying to show how awesome that he is. I mean, he can distract a message. There, the, a couple of weeks ago, there was this woman who walked right behind me as I was teaching with a hula hoop. I mean, it was so distracting. But the biggest distraction for me so far has been the crows. There are so many crows that have showed up at Mariners Irvine, and it feels like they show up right in the middle of my message to talk smack to me as I'm trying to teach. And you may know this, but a flock of crows is actually called a murder of crows. That's actually the title, a murder of crows. And they show up to murder my sermon, to murder the attention span of others. And so one day I was just complaining about the amount of crows that have showed up at our church. And somebody said, well, you should get a falconeer. I had no idea what a, what a falconeer was. And so I said, what's a falconeer? And the person said, well, a falconeer is someone who flies a falcon around the facility. They do this at expensive resorts like in Laguna Beach. And that trains the crows to leave. The falcon can get all of the crows to leave. My mind was blown. I had no category for this, but we decided to to get a falconeer. And so Mariner's Church contacted a falconeer. This was like some of the best money we've ever spent. It was only like $65. And we have a falcon. His name is Floyd. And I love Floyd so much. Here's a picture of me and Floyd. And so Floyd has been flying around Mariner's Irvine for the last several weeks, just chasing crows out of here. And the crows leave in the presence of Floyd They leave in his presence because they know they don't stand a chance and they must run, they must flee. So if you live close by to Mariners Irvine and there's more crows in your neighborhood lately, sorry, not sorry, but I wanted to give our people an Easter service without the sounds of crows and the falcon is responsible for sending all of the crows away. This was great Easter news for me, but not near as good of news as Easter, the reality of Easter is. Easter is the glorious news that God the Father has sent God the Son into our world to die for us, to live perfectly on our behalf and to send all of our sin and shame away from us. Our guilt 
and our sin and our foolishness and our shame and our helplessness and our hopelessness, they stand not a chance before this risen and resurrected Savior. Jesus has been sent into the world for us. And because he came here for us, our sin is sent away from us. We have a risen Savior, a risen Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has sent our shame and our hopelessness far from us. Happy Easter. This is the glorious news of Easter. And so today we're gonna look at this passage in which Jesus announces his resurrection before his resurrection takes place. This is early in the Gospel of John. It's in John chapter two. And the context of the passage that I'm going to read to us today is the story in which Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, really important to understand, the temple was the central place for the Jewish people in their heritage and in their religion. It is where people came to meet God. It is where actually people from all nations could come to meet God. But the temple during Jesus' day has become cluttered with commerce. With commerce, Instead of the outer court being a place where people could meet God, there's all kind of money changers there. And the poor are being exploited as people are charging a heightened fee for exchanges for money for sacrifices. And so Jesus is so livid and so frustrated with what the temple has become that he overturns the tables in the temple. Now, the religious leaders and all of the people, they are absolutely shocked with what Jesus has done because this is their temple. And they start asking Jesus, by what authority do you have to disrupt our temple in such a visible way? What what authority do you have? What sign can you give us that shows us that you can do this to our temple? And this is the second chapter of the Gospel of John. And Jesus is announcing his resurrection, he's going to say, the authority I have to do what I just did is going to be proven in that I'm going to rise from the dead, which really is the ultimate authority. And this is the ultimate authority of Jesus in our lives. I mean, if Jesus really indeed rose from the dead, then we should listen to everything that Jesus says. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we don't need to really concern ourselves with much of anything that he says. But Jesus is about to announce his resurrection from the dead when people start asking him, why can you do this to our temple? Notice what Jesus says, verse 19. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the statement Jesus had made. Jesus said, destroy this temple and it will be raised again in three days. Jesus was entering a new phase of history where he would become the temple, the new and better temple. The reason he was cleaning out the old temple is because he was establishing himself as the true temple. Jesus is the temple and he's the resurrected temple. He's the temple who is alive today. So what does this mean for you? 
What does it mean for you on Easter that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is the temple? What does it mean for you that Jesus says he is your temple? Well, it means at least three things. Number one, you can know yourself. Number two, you can know God. And number three, your sin can be sent away. Because Jesus is alive and because Jesus is the temple, you can know yourself, you can know God, and your sin can be forgiven. So number one, because Jesus is the temple, you can know yourself. In the Jewish culture in the Old Testament, the temple was the place God's people would go three times a year to connect with their heritage, to connect with others, to worship God in the temple. It was a place they would go to understand who they really were. The temple helped them see their place in this world. The temple helped them understand who they were, who they belonged to. The temple was such a significant part of their heritage that the temple helped them know who they really were, their identity and their community. And this makes sense for us because the places we go, they do help us understand who we are. We go to work and part of our identity is our career. We go to school and part of our identity is the people we hang out with at school. Or we go to happy hour and part of our identity is the people we connect with. Or we go to the gym and part of our identity is we're in this fitness community. The places we go help establish who we really are. We know ourselves often by the places that we go, which is one of the reasons that the pandemic has been so disruptive and has shook so many people because places that we have gone that help us understand who we are were taken from us. We couldn't go to work. We couldn't go to school. We couldn't go to happy hour. We couldn't go to the gym. And so now more than ever, you've probably heard people say things like, I don't know who I am. I just got to figure out who I am for this next season in my life. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm gonna gonna do something different in my life because I have to find myself. Are you hearing people say this? I am. And it makes sense because so many of the places where we went to find our identity, they were stripped from us. And I know this is true in my life. When I seek to find my worth and my identity in those kinds of places, I am always set up for disappointment because those places come and go. But the invitation of Jesus as the temple is for us to find ourselves in him. And because he is the temple, he is the temple that never closes. He is the temple that cannot be taken from us. Therefore, if we go to him, we are ultimately satisfied and we know who we really are. And so because Jesus is the temple, who is alive, he invites you to come to him and then you'll really understand who you are. C.S. Lewis, he said it this way, your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him, everything else thrown in. Do you wanna know who you really are? Then you look to him 
You run to him as your temple because of Jesus, you can actually know yourself. Because he created you, you will not be your true self apart from him. And because he created you for himself, you will not be ultimately happy and ultimately satisfied apart from him. But because Jesus is the resurrected temple, you can go to this great Jesus and really find yourself. Are you trying to find yourself in other places? If so, you'll always end up empty. And so come to Jesus and find yourself in him. So number one, because Jesus is the resurrected temple, we can know ourselves, you can know yourself. Number two, you can know God. Because Jesus is the temple, you can know God. When you study the scripture and you go to the Old Testament, you see that before there was the temple, there was the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was what God commanded his people to build. It was essentially this large mobile tent. It was a tent that they would move around, but God asked them to build it because God wanted to be with his people. God said, build this tent and I will dwell among you. In fact, notice what Exodus chapter 25, verse eight says, they are to make a sanctuary for me. That was the tabernacle so that I may dwell among them. This is so beautiful that we have a God throughout all time that has wanted to be known. He wants us to know him. We have a God who wants to be with his people. And this is still true. God wants to know you and wants you to know him and he wants to be with you. And so this is why God is starting this tabernacle in the Old Testament. So for all of these years, there was a tabernacle and there was a temple. And this is how God is interacting with his people and being among his people and showing his presence to his people. And then when you get to the New Testament, when you get to the gospels of Jesus, you see in the very first chapter of the gospel of John, a staggering statement about Jesus coming into this world for us. Notice John chapter one, verse 14. The word, this is Jesus, Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt. And the word for dwelt there also means tabernacled. It means to pitch a tent. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus tabernacles here. What does this mean? It means Jesus is the ultimate temple, that Jesus comes here and now we can know God, that Jesus is the presence of God for us because Jesus comes here, we have the ability to have the peace and joy of God. We don't journey to a temple somewhere. We don't journey to a tabernacle somewhere, the temple, the tabernacle, Jesus himself journeyed all the way here to this world to show us himself, to invite us into a relationship with himself where we can have the joy and peace of God because Jesus is alive, because Jesus is the resurrected temple. We get to know God. And this news is so amazing. This news is so great. It actually, it should in my life, in your life, overwhelm the discouraging news and the bad news that we face so many times. A couple of weeks ago, I had some really discouraging news. A buddy of mine, we were on the phone, we've been friends for many years, and he told me about something great in his life that I realized I had missed out on. Seven years ago, we sat down at a restaurant 
and he told me he was going all in with cryptocurrency. Bitcoin was his primary investment. He was going all in with it, and he encouraged me. He said, man, I love you. I think you should go all in for this, and I looked across the table from him, and I thought, man, honestly, it felt like the time somebody was looking across the table and telling me I needed to stockpile things for Y2K, all right? So I was like, nah, I'm, you know, I appreciate the, the, the uh, advice, but I'm not going all in on crypto. But I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and his investment has 50 multiplied. It is multiplied 50 times. He is loaded. And so I walked into the room with my wife after getting off the phone, and I said, baby, you're not going to believe. And I told her, all that had happened to him. And I'm like, you you might've married the wrong dude. I totally missed this opportunity. I didn't believe the news and I missed it. But that news, that news that I missed, it's nothing. And the discouraging news that I missed out, it's really nothing compared to the glorious news of Easter. See, Bitcoin may rise, Bitcoin may fall, but whatever it does is limited to this life. But the news of Easter, the news that I can now know this God, that I have a relationship with this God because this God came here for me, the news of Easter, it has value in this life and the life to come. The news of Easter promises me everlasting joy and everlasting happiness. The news of Easter is the greatest news there is because I've received the joy and peace of God because this temple, Jesus himself, came all the way here for me and all the way here for you. And so because Jesus is the resurrected temple, you can really know yourself. You can know God and this is the best news better than any news you'll read this week. And it's such good news. It should encourage you in the midst of bad news. You can know yourself. You can know God. And number three, your sin can be forgiven. You can be forgiven because Jesus is the resurrected temple. So to understand this, you want to understand what happened in the temple for centuries in the tabernacle and then the temple that followed, there was constant sacrifices for sin. Every single day, there would be sacrifices that took place for the sins of people. And then once a year on this very special day known as the Day of Atonement, there would be sacrifices made for sins that people didn't even know they committed. So get the picture. Every day, sacrifices for sins you know you did. Once a year, a sacrifice for sins you I don't even know if I did them, but I'm sure I got some. And on that day, the people longed for just the relief of having their consciences cleansed, believing that their sins were removed. I totally get the feeling. I remember before I became a Christian, I so badly wanted to be new. I so badly wanted all of my shame and my guilt to be taken away. And so all of these sacrifices all of the time would take place in the temple, but yet more and more and more were offered so clearly they weren't really removing the sin and the guilt from the people. What those sacrifices were doing, they were pointing to the ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus, the temple, is where the ultimate sacrifice takes place. 
in his body. Jesus says his body is the temple. In his body, the ultimate sacrifice takes place. Jesus sends our sins away from us and sends our sins into his body. In his flesh, he absorbs all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our foolishness, all of our sin. You likely, in the last 12 months, have absorbed pain and frustration and struggles over this last year. But Jesus, for six hours on Friday, before he was resurrected on Sunday, for six hours, he absorbed in his flesh all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our foolishness. And he did this for us because he loves us so much. And because he doesn't want our sin to be on us, instead, he takes our sin upon himself. And so because Jesus came as the temple who would absorb all of our foolishness, we can now be forgiven. We can be forgiven because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. There is no more sacrifices that have to be made because on the cross, Jesus yelled out, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Our sins have been sent away from us and sent into his flesh. Jesus is the one we ultimately need forgiveness from because Jesus is the one we've ultimately offended when we have looked for our identity and our worth in places other than him. He's the one we ultimately need forgiveness from. There is a very popular book that is used in philosophy classes in universities and used in ethical discussions. And the name of the book is The Sunflower. It was written by Simon Wiesenthal. And the reason it's a popular book is Simon tells a very chilling story of his own. And then the second half of the book, he opens up for world leaders to respond and, and answer if he actually handled the situation, the situation correctly. And here was the chilling story that happened to Simon. He was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And one day, a soldier asked Simon to follow him and led him upstairs to an abandoned school to a, a room where there was a single hospital bed. And Simon did not know what situation he was walking into. He was young at the time and he was led into this room and the nurse who was in the room left the room and it's now Simon and the person in the bed. The person in the bed who is clearly on his last days, who is struggling to breathe and is about to die, his name is Carl. And Carl says he needs to ask for forgiveness from a Jew. He needs to tell his story, and he needs a Jew to forgive him. And so Carl, the man in the bed, tells this chilling story of some of the atrocities that he was involved in. I won't go into the details, but you can imagine how horrific and evil they were. And he shares these with Simon, and he looks at Simon and he says, I just need forgiveness. I need forgiveness from a Jew. I need forgiveness so badly. Simon looks out the window and he sees a sunflower. The name of the book is The Sunflower. And he's confronted with a choice. Do I express forgiveness to him or do I leave? And Simon just leaves the room. He leaves the room. That's the first part of the book. 
The second part of the book, world leaders respond to Simon's question, did I do the right thing? Did I respond the right way? And many said, just as Simon said in his writings, that yes, Simon did the right thing because Simon was not the offended party, that Simon could not offer forgiveness because he wasn't the one who was offended. That the man who's asking for forgiveness from the hospital bed is asking the wrong person. The man who's asking for forgiveness from the hospital bed would need to ask the families of the people who he committed those atrocities against, that he's asking the wrong person. And so it was completely appropriate, many leaders respond to Simon, for him to walk out of the room. I mean, it really makes sense. If, if you were brutally attacked and were in the hospital and I, as your pastor, came to visit you, and when I arrived, I said, hey, don't worry, I've already forgiven those who harmed you. I've already forgiven those who attacked you. You could likely and rightfully say, Eric, that's not your place. That's not your place to forgive them. They were the ones who harmed me. I was the one who was offended. I was the one who was harmed. Jesus is the ultimate one who is offended by our sin, by our rebellion, by our insistence that he's not the one who's going to give us our identity. He's not the one who's going to fulfill us. He's not the one who's going to make us everlastingly happy, but we're going to go look in other places. He's the one who's ultimately offended. And so he's the one who must ultimately forgive us. He's the one we must go to for forgiveness and grace. But here is the incredible news of Easter. The one who we offended, Jesus, the Christ, he entered our world. He tabernacled here. He came here so that we can know God. And he took all of our offense upon himself. He didn't just declare that we were forgiven. He actually takes our sin and our shame and he places it on his body and he sends our sin away from us. Now, the crows at Mariner's Irvine, where I teach outside, they can come back. They can come back. The falcon can't chase them all away. They can come back. But our sin will never come back to us. Our shame will never come back to us because Jesus has forever sent it away, absorbed it in his body and yelled out, it is finished. And he proved that our sins are forgiven by rising from the dead on the third day. He proved that he is the one who has authority over our sin, authority over our shame, authority over our guilt, authority over our hopelessness. When he conquered the grave on the third day, this great Jesus has forgiven us and he's given us everlasting life. He is the temple that we can run to. He is the resurrected King to which we can go. And when we go to him, we know ourselves. We know God and our sin is fully forgiven. The one we offended, Jesus himself, he came here, absorbed our sin, conquered the grave, and he is alive today. And because he is alive today, in this moment, you can go to him. Because he is alive today, and he's not a myth, and he's not just a historical figure or a moral example. He's alive today, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can go to this great Jesus as your temple 
and you will know yourself, you will know God, and you will be forgiven. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can head to the website by clicking the link in our show notes or text MYMARINERS to 77977. If you'd like more biblical encouragement from Mariner's Church throughout the week, we also have the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Every episode is a 7-10 to minute reflection from our 2021 annual read, A Mariner's Tradition and it's based in the book of Proverbs. We're reading Timothy and Kathy Keller's devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And why are we doing this? Well, God wants us to benefit from his wisdom and avoid foolish thinking and living. Instead of binging on social media or your favorite streaming service, imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that God will use to change your life. Hey, let's get wise together. Join us and head over right now and download the Gospel Everyday Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Have a great week and may you live by God's grace every day.